Good morning. My name is Crystal Meyer, and today's scripture reading is from Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. This is the word of our Lord. Now, we just heard the same text read and sung. It's called the Magnificat. It's the song of Mary. We're going to look at that today. And as we do in this week of Advent, it's just a reminder that we're being called into fellowship. We're being called into fellowship with God. And so just begin with a question this morning. We're thinking about this text. Do you believe that in the grand scheme of things that you are significant? Does your life matter? Do you matter? A couple of weeks ago, I saw the 10 years later film from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. If you haven't heard of Make-A-Wish, they go to children who have, a lot of times they're battling disease, a lot of times it's cancer, and they say, hey, if you could do something, anything you want to do for one day, what would you choose to do? By the way, we have our elementary with us today. It's a good question for you to think about. What would you do if you could choose to do anything for a day? And this guy, his name is Miles Scott, was five years old, and he was asked, what do you want to do? And he said, oh, I want to be Batman. Let me be Batman. <laughs> and so there in San Francisco, the Make-A-Wish Foundation got together, and they're like, okay, how are we going to do this? And they, you know, they planned this little event. They thought there'd be like maybe 100 people or something like that. But as they were planning it, it there was this huge snowball effect. Everybody wanted to be there. Everyone wanted to show up and to give Miles, who'd been in this battle, right, with illness, to give him an amazing day. So they thought it was going to be 100. It ended up being thousands that lined the road, hundreds of police. The mayor comes out and gives them a key to the city and gets them to pull off this cool caper, you know, where he arrests the bad guy and takes them to prison. I mean, it's amazing. You look at this five-year-old boy who's invited into this amazing party. Now, what was cool to me was you'll see a picture of Miles 10 years later, age 15. And you know what happens 10 years later? At age five, he couldn't see what a big deal it was. He didn't understand how much trouble and how many people. You just can't even take that in as a five-year-old. But at the age 15, first he said, first let me tell you, I'm healthy, I'm doing great. <laughs> But there was such gratitude in him because here was a five-year-old boy who became the center of a city's attention. As if to say, you do matter. You are significant. 
And we talk about that today because as we learn the story of the gospel, this is the realization that all of us need to have. That we're all being invited to through Jesus. Would you pray together with me? Lord, it's true, we can feel so small in this vast world and Lord, we can wonder, really? Does it matter at all if I, that I have existed and who I am? And so, Lord, you bring us to Bethlehem and you show us Jesus. And you show us that in him, you, you take us as human beings and you, you bring us home. You bring us to fellowship with you. You show us that you see us, you know us, and you love us. And so bring us, Lord, into a new realization of this reality in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. God told his people through the prophet Isaiah long ago that now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Now, I've always loved this passage because here is God putting his affection on a people, right? Telling them that he made them, he sees them, he knows their name, this connection with the one who is Lord over all. As I read that, I think we are so, so much today hungering for significance. Of course, we humans have always done this. And by the way, if you want to cook up a recipe for meaning in life, it has three major ingredients. First, it has coherence. You need to have a sense that your life fits together, right? That there's meaning to you and your story. You also need to have purpose, a sense that you have something to do in the world. But you need the third thing is that thing significance. The psychologists are now calling it mattering. You need to know that you matter. And by the way, in all the studies, they say that is the most important one. You see, the most important thing is to learn that you matter and your life matters. Now today we're going to learn about that. We li we're living in a time which is such a huge challenge to believe that we matter at all. Right now, to have this durable sense not related to what other people around us think or what they do or don't think about us, that there's a dignity and a value and a worthiness to us, right? People today feel less and less like they matter. And at the, at the, this is at the bottom what we're being told of loneliness and, and depression and cynicism and this feeling of hopelessness or, or meaninglessness even the irritation in our lives, the studies show this relates to this, we're not sure we matter at all, that our lives make no difference. Now, there are lots of reasons for this. For example, in our age, we've learned how immense our universe is. Have you, have you seen these new pictures coming from the James Webb Space Telescope? Right, this one here has actually been called the Pillars of Creation. And we're being a given a glimpse thousands of years into the past, right? Because these are thousands of light years away. We're seeing these amazing, developing, expanding universe, right? That we are a part of. 
We can see the birth of stars and spinning galaxies and almost look like they're apples you could pick from a tree. And the result in all of this is we feel, and we are, we're infinitesimally small, right? Or maybe you've been in one of those places where you're just in this huge, immense crowd, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm just one person, and how significant could I actually be as a human being? And the result is we have this gnawing fear that in the grand scheme of things, we, we don't really matter at all. Does the fact that I have existed mean anything at all? And if so, what anchors and secures your sense of worthiness in this vast, indifferent, insensible universe? And I want to tell you today, you matter. And I want to show you how God shows us this in the coming and birth of Jesus. Now today we pick up where Dave, Pastor Dave, left off last week. Mary is carrying her baby, that's Jesus. And she meets her cousin, that's Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is also carrying a baby. He's going to be named John. And when they meet, we're told that the baby in, Elizabeth, in Elizabeth's womb, there's this recognition given by the Holy Spirit, just leaps for joy. And for Mary, this is the first confirmation that God's plan that he's told her about is actually happening. She is going to be carrying, she is carrying the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. And at this moment, everything sort of comes into focus for her. And she actually, she gets it. Listen to what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And literally, she's just overwhelmed at this moment. And she breaks forth in this song that has now come to be called the Magnificat, for that word to magnify. And in, in essence, this is what she says. God noticed me. You've got to be kidding. God, God noticed me. And she praises God from that place where she is. She says, God has, has seen me. Now, to understand what she's saying, we need to see the status of a single young woman at this time in history. The way it worked was like this. The pecking order of significance was men were always before women. Right? The rich were always before the poor. The old were much more important than the young. And leaders like kings and rulers before all the common people. Stature and status meant a lot. And the reality is she's not bragging about how humble she is. She is saying, I'm a nobody. How is this possibly happening? She cannot imagine that she would matter to God, that God would even notice her. Yet God has chosen her to be a part of his plan of redemption. Wow! <laughs> and by the way, she's done nothing to deserve this. It is all of grace. Now, we go, before we go further, we need to understand, well, what are the ingredients? How does significance work? What are the ingredients to mattering? By the way, I didn't come up with these, but they all begin with the letter A. So if you're taking notes, you can write them down. They're pretty easy to remember. The first one is this. It's attention. Attention. How do you know you matter? Someone notices us. During this past weekend, Sandy and I weren't here in Miami. We flew out to New Orleans 
And there we saw, and the first time meeting for the two of them, two baby grandchildren that we had born this year. That's Gabe on the right and Mabel on the left. And here they're getting to meet each other for the first time. And by the way, let me tell you, yesterday morning at 3 a.m., another grandbaby was born. His name is Abraham. Okay? So we are like, Woo! we are just, Sandy and I are just so overwhelmed with joy, we couldn't hardly handle it. Let me tell you, we couldn't take our eyes off these babies. And here is why. Not just because they're beautiful. This is how human beings come to be persons. It's by somebody giving them attention. Someone looking at them. Someone watching them. That's how they, they come to know, hey, I, I exist. I'm a person. Because people are looking at me. And this is deeply wired into this sense of significance and mattering. So much so that people who study this say that's how you become the person you are. By the way, my wife reminds me of this when we're talking together and I'm, giving, I'm not giving her my undivided attention, right? Does this ever happen to you? Which she's like, why are you not looking at me? What are you, you're in a conversation with me, right? Because that's what that communicates. By the way, I know the way this works, the famous, they get all kinds of attention. We're all watching them, right? Those at the top of the organizational chart where you work, but here God shows this is not true for him. He gives his attention to this young woman who really in their world is a nobody. She's unimportant. And as I read this, I think, well, maybe you feel invisible. Maybe where you are, you feel like I'm totally unnoticed. Nobody even, I'm not even seen. And the good news here is Mary is saying, God sees. He, he sees you because he's seen me. I remember this story, it comes from the time of slavery in this country, in which a, an African-American slave was asked, you know, what is your favorite part of the scripture? And he said, well, it's that opening part of Matthew. It's, it's where the genealogies, right, of Matthew, I don't know if you have that slide, it's the open. there we go, it's the opening chapter of Matthew, and it's all names, it's just a genealogy. And the person who asked him said, well, I just skip over that. How could that possibly be? your favorite place in the scripture. And this is what he said. He said, because God knows them by name, I know that he knows me. He knows who I am. And so the first part of, of how we realize our significance is, is through this. And by the way, the, whole, the Old Testament is filled with this. David is overwhelmed. He says, I can't even... I can't even talk about this. I see how much God knows me and watches me. He knows the words that I speak even before I say them. He knows all of my mannerisms. Or you read Psalm 121 where the person is like saying, God is watching over. God sees. God is engaged. He's connected. And you're like, that, that's it. That's the way of saying you matter to God. But the second A is acceptance. And I think we can instinctively feel whether people accept us or not. We are fine-tuned to notice rejection. And by the way, we're so hungry to be accepted by people. We want to be people like us because we think it will happen there. We want to be received in this way. And shame comes from rejection or the fear of rejection. But here's Mary again. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God has accepted her. And this is why she's blessed. And by the way, here she, she doesn't mention her baby at all. 
Only that God has received and welcomed her. But then there's the third A is affection. Affection. It's being liked or loved. And this is a question we are asking people all the time without using words. Do you like me? I mean, don't kids put that on a little checkbox when they're like in second grade and they send it, check off here, I like you or I don't like you, right? And you're just like, oh, I hope they like me. But we adults do it too, right? But we don't use words. Or do you love me? Am I worthy? Am I worthy of your love, of your friendship, of your time? Here's Mary again. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the, hum the uh, humble. The word here is exalted, given a place with God. God has loved her. And I think of Jesus, you know, as he went around with his disciples, he gave them all nicknames, right? And, and they're all affectionate as he talks about them. He calls them his friends, and he's forever showing them affection and love. That's beautiful. I read recently the story, I don't know if you've heard of it, of this guy. His name is Ludwig Gutmann. He was a German Jew who escaped Germany right as World War II was beginning. And when he got to Great Britain, he got a job in a hospital. And it just happened to be the hospital where the war wounded from Europe were coming back, the, the British soldiers. And his hospital was the one where the paraplegics and the quadriplegics. And because of their loss, they were often deeply depressed. And so the doctors sort of felt like, oh, they're they're not even gonna have a they're not even gonna have a life. So they sedated them, they left them in their in their beds, and they, it was assumed that for them life was over. The doctors and other patients didn't even really see them as full human beings. How do you see people who have you know who, who have obstacles like that? How do you see them? Because their injuries were so severe. But Gutmann forced them from their beds and tried to draw them into sports. And at one time, they convened a tribunal. They brought him before the other doctors to say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And one doctor commented during the hearing, he said, these, these are moribund cripples. Who do you think they are? And, the, and he, Gutmann simply responded, they are the best of men. You see, he had gotten to know them. He knew they were human beings. And he loved those men. Here's this beautiful picture. He was saying, they've given up on you, but you matter. Your lives matter. And as a result of that, as you can see, he's the guy who started the Paralympic Games. And he did this because he was telling people, you matter. You have significance. And I think this is the story of mattering that we find in the gospel. You come to experience that God delights in you. You know that God cares for you. Do you know that God loves you? He is, he's fond of you. He's enthralled with you. And that leads to the next A. It's appreciation. To receive gratitude, not just recognition for who you are, but something that you've done. I received a letter from a pastor I began working with 30 years ago. Now he's serving in another city in our country. And at Thanksgiving, he, he wrote me a thank you note. He went to the trouble of doing that thanking me for the time that I had invested in him. And he was saying, you, you matter. What you did, the time you invested, that made a difference. And the final one of those A's is allowing. And so kids, if you're still tuned in, I know how this feels, right? Allowing is given the freedom to act. It means if your parents paint your room, you get to choose the color. Or you get to actually order from the menu. Your parents aren't always doing that for you. 
It's a way of seeing that you have what we call agency, the ability to do things. And this gives us dignity and value and significance. It shows that we matter. And this is why at the very dawn of creation, though God made all the animals, he called to Adam and he said, look, I want you to name all of them. I don't know how he came up with all those names. Some of them are not that great. But God was saying to him, you're important in what I'm doing. You matter in my creation. And so I want you to be a part of this with me. And we do that with our children when we give them choices or the people around us. You've probably been in an environment where you're being manipulated or you're not given those opportunities to use your gifts and abilities. But this is what this stuff is made of. And by the way, each of us have a little realm or dominion that God has assigned to us where we can use our abilities. And this is because God treats us with dignity. Now you say, wow, if this is significant, why don't we have it? This is great stuff. Why are we missing it? And I'll be really simple, because it's simple to me. We can't give it to ourselves. You can't make yourself be significant. That's why Mary's song, if you read it and hear it, it's not about her at all. It's about God. Listen to the focus of her song. He has been mindful. He has done great things. His mercy extends. He has performed. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has filled. He has helped. You see, Mary only mentions herself in passing. Why? You cannot cause yourself to matter. At least not in any lasting way. And I know what you think. I think the same thing too. There seem to be people that have like important positions. And automatically they sort of matter, right? I mean, doctors can save lives and presidents can lead countries. But the reality is that doesn't make them matter in the deepest and lasting way. I recently read the story of a psychologist and he had been called to a mental health institution because a man had tried to commit suicide. And he couldn't imagine it because the guy was really... He was a pretty amazing guy, and when he talked to him, he found this man had served his career, been serving for a long time as an EMT, but then he had a serious back injury, and he could no longer do his work, and because he had no longer could do his work, he no, no longer felt like his life made a difference. That's why he'd attempted his own life. And the, what we learn is this, if your mattering or significance is attached to anything contingent, and that is anything you can lose, you will not have the lasting joy that comes from true significance. Your mattering has to be durable. It has to be able to weather the storms of life because if it can be lost, you're living on shaky ground. And here's Mary. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. Now she's not saying, hey, I've seen him, God demote some people. God hasn't done that. God, God has brought everyone down by lifting her up and showing her her value. You see, everyone who thinks they matter because of their station or wealth or position, God has shown it's not about that. He's exalted a poor peasant woman who has nothing at all. You want to know why we don't feel like we matter in this age. By the way, it's not because we can see more deeply into the universe. It's because having a job and a spouse or kids or success or a lot of money or having an, an Instagram-worthy vacation, they just cannot make you matter. Only God can do this. 
And it is because we are told that we have to build our lives for ourselves and we have to make ourselves be significant that we're stuck. And by the way, we're not even given God in the picture of that. But we can't do it. Only God can bestow on you a transcendent meaning for your life. And this is what happened to Mary. God saw her and knew her and loved her and included her in his plan. And this gave her joy. She's like, well, I of all people should not, but I matter to God. Was she worthy of this? Of course she wasn't. If so, it makes her song sound empty. She knew this. I like the way psychologist Richard, Richard Beck explains it. Think about this with me. So mattering has to come to us externally as a gift, as something beyond and more real than your doubts and questions. Mattering isn't constructed, it's accepted. Mattering isn't a prize you win, it's a truth to be received. Mattering is like gravity. Questioning its existence is possible, but it's pointless. Similarly, mattering can't be questioned, otherwise it wouldn't be mattering. Sure, you might doubt it, but still you matter. Mattering is simply the truth. You see what God is trying to show us? Well, you say, well, how do you know this is true? I want to show you the way her song reaches its conclusion. She sings, he has helped his servant Israel. Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary talks about a promise that's more than a thousand years old, made to somebody who, who becomes the head of a tribe and people, that at the time she sang this and singing this, Israel is nothing. They're under Roman control. They have no power. They're, they're nothing at all. You see, Israel was like Mary, of no account at that time in the world. They don't matter, but God would send his Redeemer. God would show up among them, among this people. You see, Jesus coming to the world is about we human beings mattering to God, even the least of us. It is about God noticing us and seeing us, seeing our need. It's about God loving us to life and making a, a way for us to have meaning, meaning in life and meaning in him. You see, Jesus, in Jesus, God says, you matter to me. He shows us his love. This baby that came into the world rested in the arms of a woman of no account to show us that all of us matter. You don't have to be an important person. You don't have to have babies or a spouse or be successful. God sees you and he loves you. And this is why Mary rejoices. She can see this truth. By the way, as long as we're trying to give significance to ourselves, we will always be stuck. We can only receive this by faith. It's a gift of God. It's, it's grace as we talk about it. And the cross of Jesus helps us to see this like nothing else. You see, God entered into our world. That should be love enough, right? But you know, Jesus made himself nothing so that you might be something to God. He went to the cross to show you the extent of God's love so that you might see how, much, how significant you are before God. It says it like this in the New Testament. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it is faith in Jesus that opens the way for us to see and know that we matter to God. And this is why this faith is such a pathway to joy. 
The joy that says, again, your life matters. The joy of knowing that God has included you and what you do in your life is important to God. Years ago, I remember watching for the first time, so powerful for me, the, the truth, the movie of a true story of a guy who lived in the 19th century. You may have heard of him. His name is John Merrick. But if you haven't heard of his name, likely you've heard of him by his title, The Elephant Man. You can see the, the, the movie, you know, picture there. It's a true story of a man who was deformed beyond description. His appearance was so hideous, he was used in a circus for, in an exhibition of freaks of nature. And he was ridiculed beyond belief. One of the most powerful scenes in the movie is he's passing through an air, uh, a train station and people recognize him and they start chasing after him. It's a scary moment. This grotesque man fleeing through a, a mob through a train station. And the people finally catch up to him. They've got him cornered into, in a restroom. And some are grabbing at him. And, and they're laughing at him. And they're yelling insults as he yells out in pain. And this is what he's yelling. He says, I'm not an animal. I, I'm not an animal. I'm, I'm a human being. And he just sinks to the floor. He's traumatized. He's exhausted. He says, I'm a man. And then a miracle happens in his life. A physician named, named Frederick Trebes, you'll see a picture of him, meets John. And what he sees is he discovers below this ugly exterior is this really sensitive and tender-hearted human being. And by the way, his, his attention to him, looking at him, giving him that kind of attention as a human being, his, his, his life just starts to wake up. He begins to live. Now, because of his appearance, all kinds of people want to see him. They're, they're, they're curious, right? And they're drawn to him. And the most touching is of one of the great actresses of the era. Her name is Madge Kim, Kimdall. You'll see a picture of her. And she sees, who sees his ugliness, but she receives him into her home with such sensitivity and gentleness that Merrick actually starts, you can see him rise above his own appearance. And you know what she does? She, she goes and gets a book of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. She has it memorized. She's done the play. And she gives the book to him, and she has him reading the lines of Romeo. And as she's doing that, it becomes overwhelming. The lines conclude, and she smiles. And with genuine warmth, she looks at him, and she says, you're, you're not an elephant man at all. And he softly adds, he's afraid to agree, oh, no. And she whispers and she gently kisses his supremely ugly cheek. And she says, you're, you're Romeo. You're Romeo. And he can hardly believe it for joy. I mean, he's overwhelmed. He can scarcely believe that her beauty could, could meet him in, in such embrace and not see his ugliness. And it had happened right there. As in the Christmas hymn, you've probably heard these words, right? Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's God's goal for you. That you would feel and know your worth, your value before God. But do you see that? 
You see, that constant striving to matter on our own can keep us from discovering you've been loved by God. And this is precisely why Jesus came into the world and why he went to the cross. And this is robbing you of a joy that could be yours. And at Christmas, you're reminded, no, no, you matter to God. God sees you. He knows you by name. And your life and what you have in your days here, they all matter before the living God. God is fond of you. He has given purpose to your life. And he has made your life to count. And the only way you can enter into this is by faith. By trusting because you've seen Jesus in what he's done for you. And then the realization on the other side is like Mary. It's like, wow, I can't believe in the midst of this universe. And, and I know who I am. I know my own struggles and weaknesses. <laughs> but God has put his affection on me. Would you pray together with me? Father, we come to this place and we find that you are loving us and you're doing everything in Jesus to show us, to get our attention. You're giving us attention and affection because you care for us. And so I pray, Lord, that all of this time, Lord, the music is so beautiful. It's really enchanting for our hearts. That we would see the goal of all of that is that you would help us to see that we matter to you. Lord, some of us see ourselves as ugly, maybe not on the outside, but we know our own hearts. And we think, Lord, you can love somebody, but it wouldn't be me. And then you show us Jesus and the cross, and we realize it's me too. Lord, let that realization change our lives. Because, Lord, we so much need to know that our lives matter. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.